Hello and welcome to the Doc Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mike DeLuke, and it's my mission to help you lead a happier, healthier, and more prosperous life, both personally and professionally. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of The Doc Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mike, and today's topic is how to set your finishes apart with enamel recontouring. Enamel recontouring, or manicuring as some call it, is where you polish the edges of the teeth to make them look smooth and give them more aesthetic anatomical contours. I've found that this is rarely taught in orthodontic education, unless you happen to have a certain faculty member who does this in their own practice and took the time to teach it to the residents. But we're all capable of doing it. We just need some guidance regarding the best way to approach it, both from a philosophical and technical perspective. For me, it's just something that I started to do late in my residency when I saw how great straight teeth looked, but how unfinished many cases looked based on the irregularity of the incisal edges. I'm also fortunate that I always really enjoyed restorative dentistry during dental school, and I actually practiced general dentistry part-time at my family's dental practice during my residency. Truth be told, we weren't really supposed to moonlight during residency, so if you're watching this, Dr. Nanda, sorry about that, but I had to start paying down those student loans somehow. It's actually crazy looking back on it, but the experience, I mean, it ended up being a great experience, but I used to leave Connecticut um, where I did my residency at UConn on Friday evenings, and I'd take the two and a half hour drive from Connecticut to upstate New York, usually getting into New York, Albany area about 11 at night, and I'd sleep at my parents' house, and then I'd see patients all day on Saturday. And it started as basically just covering hygiene and emergencies at my family's practice, but it evolved into having a group of my own patients that I cared for. And then after a long day of doing general dentistry, I would eat dinner with my parents, drive back to Connecticut late Saturday night, uh, and it was tiring. It was, it was a tiring experience, but I learned so much from it. And it actually ended up being a large part of the reason that I had, had the confidence to go out on my own and start my own practice right out of my residency because I had already worked clinically in the real world, so to speak, working on patients. I did some crowns, a few endos here and there, uh, but most of the work I did was restorative treatment, especially cosmetic bonding of anterior teeth. In doing so, I became quite good at shaping and contouring the teeth and really gained an understanding of the importance of the incisal embrasures to achieve an aesthetic smile. I took this understanding to the ortho cases I was treating in my residency, as I had mentioned before. I was noticing those cases that you know, I do say on the weekend, I'd be doing this restorative dentistry, creating this beautiful um, appearance of the uh, anterior teeth. And then I'd go back and looking at my, my ortho cases, see I'm taking the braces off and polishing the adhesive and just leaving these jagged edges. And I started to think, well, I don't, not, I can just start to smooth some of this out. So that's when I started to do some gentle recontouring of the enamel just to give the cases a more finished look. Then when I began practicing, I started just making it a standard part of every case I finished. This approach actually helped me set my finishes apart from my colleagues throughout the duration of my career. I would hear from general and pediatric dentists that my cases just looked different and were more perfect than those of my colleagues. And it did help generate significant goodwill from referring dentists and patients as a result. I literally had patients come in and say that for some reason they noticed that patients who were treated by me, their teeth looked so perfect and they wanted their own teeth to look like that. Patients are perceptive and many of them notice the symmetry and balance that they look at just as we do as docs. And because they're now taking selfies and scrutinizing all their pictures, they notice it more than ever and want to have that perfect smile. But while aesthetically recontouring the teeth is a relatively simple concept in theory, there's quite a bit that goes into it to do it safely and correctly. And that's what we're going to talk about today. It's much more than just arbitrarily smoothing the edges of the teeth when the patients get their braces off. In this podcast, I'll take you through the entire process from beginning to end. I'll review which teeth should be recontoured, when they should be recontoured, and how to do the recontouring, including what armamentarium to use. At the end, I'll actually show a full video of me recontouring a patient's teeth chairside at the time of braces removal and I'm, where I explain what I'm doing as I go through the process. 
Colleagues with whom I have previously shared this video have said that it really helped them understand how to recontour their patient's teeth more effectively, so I hope you're going to find it super helpful as well. So one important point that I want to make before we get into this specific technique has to do with tooth sensitivity. When I teach this, one common question I get is, Mike, how do you do this without making the patient's teeth overly sensitive? For adults, this is rarely an issue, especially if they've had a decent amount of chipping or attrition of the incisors pre-treatment. They have so much secondary or reparative dentin, they really don't feel a thing, and you have quite a bit of play. Well, I find that the vast majority of younger patients don't really experience any sensitivity during the procedure. Some do. So one really helpful trick is to have them raise their left hand when they feel it's what I call too cold. I literally tell them to do this. My exact scripting is, I'm going to polish the edges of the teeth a bit to make them nice and smooth. It does blow some cold air on the teeth, so it's normal to feel a little cold, but if it ever feels too cold, just raise your left hand and let me know, and I'll go to a different tooth to let that one warm up. As a little aside, those of you who might take in my courses know I'm a huge believer in Tell Show Do, and I find it so effective to use this approach with all of your patients. I actually I'm going to do a podcast on this in the future because it's such an important skill to have. And I learned it from Dr. Fred Ferguson at Stony Brook when I was a dental student. It's been one of the biggest difference makers in my ability to keep patients calm and feeling that they're in control of the situation. So if I'm recontouring the tooth and the patient raises their left hand, I nod. I mean, you need to make sure you acknowledge this. So I nod and say, okay, and I just go to another tooth, as I told them I would. And once they do that, they, know, they trust you. And then they'll let you know. They'll let you know and raise their hand if it feels a little too cold. Some kids are a little more sensitive than others. And you, obviously, having treated them already, get a feel for that. But you do get a really good read on where they are from a comfort level and how far you can kind of push that, that envelope. So when I go back to the tooth that they had raised their hand and said was sensitive, if they raise their hand again, I don't push it. And maybe that patient just might not get as much recontouring done because they have more sensitive teeth. I'll update the parent on this and I'll note it in the chart. Uh, and I also note it in the post-treatment letter to both the primary care dentist and parent. Because you really don't want to push this and give the patient chronic hypersensitivity of their teeth. On that note, that's why it's important not to aggressively recontour one single tooth before going to another tooth. The last thing you want to do is completely recontour the right central, only to go to the left central, find out that the patient's sensitive in that tooth, and you can't recontour it as much as you did So at the right, so now the teeth are uneven. If you're just recontouring a small amount, not usually something you have to worry about. But if you need to remove more than, let's say, like a half a millimeter or so of enamel on an incisal edge, just do a little bit at a time on one tooth and then go to the contralateral tooth. Balance going back and forth contralaterally. You'll see this in the video I do a bit later, but you'll notice I'm constantly bouncing around within one arch on the sixth anterior teeth to avoid this exact situation from occurring. So other patients feel absolutely nothing. And you can literally go until you get the teeth absolutely perfect, especially patients with big, long incisors, really thick enamel at the incisal edges. And again, you, you get a sense of patient's teeth as you do this more and more. Those ones that you're, are sensitive and you need to shy away from ideal, it's okay. Uh, you know, you, you get a feel for the reaction and you don't, you don't make them feel bad about it. You just kind of explain, okay, your teeth are a little more sensitive. We're just not going to be able to do quite as much. And that's that. In addition, on those patients who are more sensitive, you typically still can get some really nice recontouring just by smoothing some of the rough spots with your soft flex disc, which we'll go into, and you can go into those embrasures, just giving them better embrasures and, and helping contour those teeth a little bit, even if you can't get ideal symmetry um, and, and aesthetics of those incisal edges, really does make such a big difference in the final result. One other hugely important point is to look at your cases from the front when you're in the finishing stages, especially. I literally will. So I sit down with my patient, look in the mouth after greeting them going through of every, through everything. <clears throat> but when I'm recontouring, I will literally turn my body. And again, you can kind of get a sense of this seeing my hand in the video, but I go from one direction, then the other direction. And then I look from the front of the patient to get a feel for where those edges are. If you just sit 
above that patient's head and look down. You can have a very distorted perception of the exact proportionality. And again, doing restorative dentistry helped me understand and appreciate this. You really need to shift to the front and have the patient smile. My patients would always think I was crazy because I was constantly like shifting in front of them, smile, just staring at their teeth for you know five or 10 seconds, shifting back. Uh, but it's really important to do that and to be able to get the right result. So as we start getting into the uh, technique approach. Let's start with which teeth to recontour. Okay, we're going to start by talking about what teeth you want to recontour. So for those who took my course on phase one debonding and retention, you already know that it's a little different for phase one patients versus phase two and comprehensive treatment or adult patients. In phase one, I only recontour upper two to two in the primary C's if they're still there. And here actually I'm going to show you a few examples of what I'm referring to in those phase one patients. So I don't do the mandibular incisors because they're typically very sensitive at this age. And even removing the mammalons can be uncomfortable for the patient. If they have like significant chipping or attrition of the incisors, maybe I'll take the softlex disc to them a little bit and just kind of smooth it out. But just gently roughing sharp and jagged edges. As soon as the patient raises their hand and says it feels too cold, I stop. And you'll see if you try to do this on phase one patients on the lower anterior teeth, they're going to raise that hand very quickly. I also found that it's nice to allow some uh, wear of the, allowing the mammalons to remain because it's, those teeth might wear down naturally during the period between phase one and phase two, during that phase one retention period, if they need a second phase, or uh, if they don't need a second phase, you can do some final recontouring before you actually make the final set of retainers. But I like to allow the, a, little, a little play, so to speak, on those lower incisors, especially in those deep bite patients, because they might get some, some attrition over time, while, since you're not technically perfecting the malocclusion at the end of the first phase. For more information on this, Go to the doc website, which is www.theorthocoach.com. And if you look and take the course on phase one debond and retention, in that course, I explain the phase one recontouring process in detail. By contrast, in phase two, comprehensive treatment, adult treatment, and patients who did not need a second phase, I recontour the upper and lower three to three canine to canine. So now that we know which teeth we want to recontour, let's take a moment to review what you want to accomplish with each tooth. It's important to note that the key to all of this is symmetry. I'll say that again, because it is so important. The key to all of this is symmetry. Obviously, every patient's teeth are anatomically unique and have different amounts of wear. But if we look at a sample case, you can see the key is that you create those soft edges and symmetrical incisal embrasures, and you do it the same way bilaterally. The last thing you want to do is have one, <clears throat> excuse me, round cusp pip and leave the other one pointy, or round the distal incisal embrasure of the left maxillary central and leave the distal embrasure on the right maxillary central squared off. And the amount that you'll round or shape really depends on that patient's teeth and what you feel will look best aesthetically as well as the starting point of the shape of the teeth. When you do this properly, the result you get and the final smile looks simply amazing and it sets your cases apart. So now that we've reviewed the general guidelines, let's go into a bit more detail and show some actual cases to give you a feel for what's possible and how to approach your cases Approach taking this, uh, taking this approach to your cases with your patients. For our audio-only consumers, I'll describe what was done as we go through the cases. All right, so let's pick up with that patient that we showed the example of a moment ago, and let's take a little bit uh, deeper dive into what we were able to achieve and how you want to achieve the most ideal anatomy. So starting on the upper centrals, we want to get that mesioincisal embrasure be very symmetrical. And it shouldn't be too wide or broad or sweeping, especially in male patients. It can be a little bit more of a taper on the distal. And then in that embrasure, you're going to want to go come down onto the mesial here and have it a little softer on the mesial incisal of the lateral than it was on the central and a little gentler on the distal 
than it was on the distal of the lateral. So the lateral should be a little more rounded than the central. And then as we get into our canines, we want them to have a point, but to be a softened point. You don't want that sharp point. Some patients, if they come with a lot of attrition and it's very worn, you will need to account for that and be able to adjust that. That's one you might do um, uh, for them and, and give them kind of that soft, gentle contour uh, to, and let them know you're going to give them a little bit more of that contour of that canine back. The canine should also be somewhat even with the first bicuspid, uh, and the canine and central should be about even. Remember back to your denture setups in dental school with the lateral incisor half millimeter to a millimeter apical to that. On the lower, you want the four incisors to be uh, level with nice embrasures in between, symmetrical embrasures, and a little bit more of a taper on the distal incisal embrasure of the mandibular laterals. The canines should then be approximately a millimeter higher at the cusp tip uh, of the centrals, uh, cusp tip relative to the centrals and laterals, and that cusp tip should be a little bit toward the mesial uh, when we are um, looking at it anatomically. You can't really tell from this angle from a frontal, but looking straight from the side, that cusp tip should be a little to the mesial of the center midline of the tooth. And that's how you get those ideal anatomical contours. Now you're not going to be able to achieve that in every single patient, right? People come with very different presenting <laughs> conditions. You're not gonna be able to get that ideal in every patient. So let's take a moment and go through some of the different types of approaches we can take to those patients to use each patient's unique individual anatomy to still get an amazing result. So if we take this patient here, you can see she has some attrition on the lower anterior teeth, got some attrition on the uppers as well. Uh, we're going to want to count for the, obviously we've got the gingival margin discrepancy, but when we level these out, you can kind of picture in your mind's eye that um, number nine is going to be a little, would be a little longer than number eight once it, the gingival margin's leveled. So we want to account for the fact that it's also going to need a little more recontouring on the distal than on the mesial. The laterals are worn, the canines, the, le the left one's pointy, the right one's flattened. So, uh, and we've got some, some decent attrition on the lower left cuspid with that tip to the distal. So uh, we look at this and then we go in and treat the case and we finish her out. You see, if we set it up properly, we can really create an amazing result that's soft, gentle, uh, and, and really looks nice. This was a female. So sometimes in females, I'll round those embrasures a little more. It's a little more of an aesthetic look for, for feminine, just like indenture teeth, male teeth tend to be a little flatter and more squared off. You can't always do that, but when I can try to, uh, to achieve that, I will. So again, going over the principles we just went over, gives great symmetry, balance, and aesthetics. Looking at this patient, uh, she presents, it looks pretty tricky when you look at this. Um, some of you notice too, the tapering of those teeth, even though the roots are tipped mesially uh, towards one another, when you align these teeth, it really can be a challenge on that embrasure. So uh, I actually went in on this patient pre-treatment and did a little IPR up in this area, let her know we'd be doing that uh, just because I knew we did, we, you don't want to have to be jamming a disc up in there mid to late in treatment, if, uh, especially if she's got some gingival inflammation. So we did that pre-treatment. Uh, the laterals were rotated. It makes them look a little narrower than they were, but they were a little narrow. And you can just see on the bottom, we've just got this sort of uneven wear. So when we go in and treat it, we're able to achieve this, which again, accomplished all of our objectives, gave her back some symmetry, nice incisal embrasures, have uh, nice, recon nice contouring and shape of the anterior teeth, and you would never know that the teeth had that initial shape. And I did let her know, one of her chief, actually her chief complaint was the uh, length and prominence of those upper centrals. So when I talked to her about that, we would, we could, you know, as long as she was comfortable to probably take a significant amount of enamel off of them, um, she was very much in favor of that. Here's another patient, totally different tooth shape, right? And just from the patient we just saw, another actually female patient, but totally different. She's got these really sort of square, uh, square central incisors and kind of boxy laterals. Um, not a ton of attrition, but a lot, a little bit off the distal here, but a lot of deep irregular mammalons. So when we look at this and <clears throat> looking at the mammalon on the right lateral versus the left, the last thing you want to do is set these teeth and not take into account all the different recontouring you're going to have to do to be able to achieve a result like that. And again, it comes out of not just straightening the teeth and one day at the D-bond deciding you're going to try to recontour those teeth, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble if you do that. Here's another case. Uh, you can see here kind of those cupped out incisal edges of the laterals, uh, some even thinning of that enamel of those centrals because of the depth of, she had a very deep overbite. She was really wearing some fraction into the back of those um, 
central incisors and you can even see the wear for setting on those lower anterior teeth. So went in and did great reshaping. And now, uh, because you can see a little thin there, so we did let them know that there could be a chance she'd want some aesthetic bonding on the back side of those teeth. Actually, at that point, it's more just restorative than aesthetic to prevent the, the continued chipping. But we were able to take these teeth that had just horribly irregular shape and be able to give them a nice aesthetic balance shape and contour that looked, looked great. And uh, she was able to uh, um, enjoy a really look at the difference in her smile. It was really cool to see. This patient, uh, she had just kind of those ovoid-shaped laterals that look longer than the centrals um, and just a really tricky overall case to set up. Uh, so when we look at that, again, we want to take into account that she has more wear on the mesial than the distal, that these lateral incisors are rounded with this one a bit of a point uh, and, and take that into account into when we line up, so line everything up so that we can go in and give her these nice embrasures, make everything nice and symmetrical and even going over the principles we went over uh, at the beginning with that uh, one patient where we showed his case. Again, just again, showing you all these cases just to show you the difference in tooth size and shape. This was an adult male patient. Uh, he had significantly worn these teeth. We'll show some examples of how we approach this uh, for the clear liner patients in, in, a, in a bit. But uh, we went in and, and really kind of took almost this whole mesial incisal off because that tooth had been worn on an angle like that. Uh, and it resulted in what looked like um, a tooth that was kind of like this was the perpendicular to the long axis, but it's not more aligned like this would be. And so when we accounted for that and went in, he was actually a clear liner patient, we were able to get great symmetry and aesthetics as well as give back um, those embrasures and, and give him a really, really great appearance to those teeth as well. Going to this patient, she had that chip out of the mesial incisal, wear on the laterals, um, and some wear, uneven and irregular wear and chipping on the lower anterior teeth. So setting it up, we were able to achieve this. She didn't have the best hygiene in there, uh, but you can see here, because of the fact that that was so worn, it forced me to remove a little more of that mesial, which forced me to remove a little more of the incisal edge on both teeth. One trick to that, to be able to do that successfully, is you then just add a little bit more of a taper, especially in a female, you can get away with it very easily, on the mesial, and that kind of rounds the tooth out. So it may, you use that, you work with that chip to round the tooth, and it looks great, and it's aesthetic, and no one ever knows or thinks anything differently about it. Here we have a patient had kind of again that cupping on uh the left, cent left central and both laterals, some significant attrition on the lower anterior teeth. And uh, he obviously was bruxing those teeth and had some significant wear from his deep bite. We went in and fixed the malocclusion, but also gave so did some nice reshaping. So this is what I mean. You kind of picture in your mind's eye this tooth if we didn't do the the recontouring or manicuring and left it like that at the end. It just doesn't look finished. It looks nothing like that does. Um, he had worn his canine so flat that it was a bit of a challenge to get him some cusp tips back, but I do try to do that. I try to get him so I can kind of remove that mesial a little and get a little bit of a cusp tip for the patient and totally reshape where the cusp tip of the uppers was to give it a more natural look. Here's a patient with just kind of an odd tooth shape. You look at this, you're like, wow, big left lateral and kind of narrow and narrow centrals and just really going to be tough to get that to be an aesthetic result. Attrition on the bottom, worn these canines quite a bit, has the cusp tip in the wrong place on the upper canines. But again, with a good plan and creative recontouring, you can do just amazing things to get these teeth to look symmetrical, even, uh, have nice balance and, and get through, through, all your, through and accomplish all of your occlusal principles as well. This is a cool one. This is a male patient. Um, this is to show, again, what you can do combined with some IPR, but you want to be thinking about this from the beginning of your cases, not reacting to this later in treatment to let the patient know ahead of time we're going to need to do some significant reduction in between the teeth to get things to look good and, and function properly as well. And we went in and did this with him, and uh, you can see we were able to get some really nice shape back on these, these lower incisors, soften everything up, reduce the mesial significantly to give him a much more aesthetic result that was very functional as well. Patient who just doesn't have a lot of wear at all, right? It's just a lot of big thick mammalons. You want to take this into account when you're setting that case up so that you're able to get some nice recontouring and reshaping and give that patient the type of result that you would want for your own teeth or your child's teeth. Interesting case, just to see how far you can take this. This patient was missing the upper laterals uh, and had um, 
quite a significant malocclusion as well. Uh, a lot of asymm skeletal asymmetry and a lot of things going on. But um, I told him, I said, why don't we just substitute and we'll just go ahead and reshape these to make them look like laterals. And then we softened the centrals and then he had a lot of just chipping and wear and abfraction on these lower teeth. And so we were able to, to go into that. And being an adult, we had a lot of play and a lot of secondary reparative, reparative dentin and we were able to get to this uh, so that those canines, and he didn't show the inside up on the gingiva smile, so it was not gonna be visible. And so we were able to kind of hide the tooth length discrepancy up here and give him some beautiful symmetry here so that no one would know that these are his canines and not his laterals uh, and get everything smooth and even on the bottom. And I do tell the patients too, not only does this look great, but it does help the longevity of these teeth and help them not be so prone to breakdown and wear and attrition going forward because uh, I actually explain it like ice, right? Uh, if you're at, those of you who live in the colder climates, those of you down south don't know this as much, but if you have ice on your driveway or your sidewalk and you kind of chip at it, uh, if it's a smooth beveled edge, it's really hard to free it up. But if it's, oh, those crystals are irregular, uh, it's actually really easy to break that ice apart. And then this patient, last one we'll show in this series, again, significant attrition. And you have to think of this ahead of time. So when you're placing your brackets, you really want to be conscious of what you're going to need to do from a recontouring perspective in your mind. Uh, you want to picture that so that you can set them up appropriately and be able to get this type of result at the end where you never would know that he had that type of breakdown and wear. Uh, and just to put a face to it, because we've been just showing a lot of teeth, it looks great too. When you do this for your patients, their smiles just look so good. And that's what I mean by it will set your work apart from your colleagues. Now I want to discuss when to recontour the teeth. So this is actually different for me based upon whether the patient is being treated with braces or with Invisalign or whatever clear aligners you choose to use. For braces, I do most if not all of the recontouring at the D-bond. Every now and then I'll recontour a severely chipped or broken down tooth at the beginning of or during treatment. Or if I know the patient has very sensitive teeth, I'll kind of progressively do the recontouring at the final couple adjustment appointments. But and occasionally, if you get a situation where you have like one incisor significantly longer than another, meaning like one or two millimeters longer, I'll reduce the longer incisor gradually throughout treatment to prevent the lo that longer tooth from becoming sensitive because you don't really want to be taking two millimeters of tooth off of a tooth at the end of treatment, number one. And number two, let's say that tooth is more sensitive and you have that big of a discrepancy, then you want to do it gradually um, because, again, it allows time for the reparative dentin to be laid down. But secondarily, what you end up having happen is as you start to do it, if you do a couple visits and they are really getting sensitive in that tooth, you now know that you're not going to be able to reduce it anymore and you have a decision to make. Do you leave the incisal edges off and have the tooth restored, uh, aligning the gingival margins, or do you bring the other, extrude the contralateral incisor to the level of the longer incisor and leave the gingival margins off? And then this, as you know, gets into the overall gingival display on smiling and et cetera, as well as patient finances and what the parent and patient wants to go through if it's a pediatric patient. So you need to take all of those things into account. But it really helps to do it while the patient's still in treatment um, because if you don't, you can end up, that's not the, the thing you want to learn or find out when, when you take the braces off. You can account for that all in finishing bends and detailing as you have the patient in treatment still throughout the case. So uh, I found it's also really important to have this discussion in the beginning of treatment as well as during treatment for these particular cases. What I mean by that is, in the beginning of treatment, if you see this large discrepancy, you want to alert the parents like, hey, they're, they're, you know, Johnny's two front teeth are really different in size. Based on the fact that he shows a lot of his gums when he smiles, I'm going to try to reduce the bigger tooth and make them look even. But if we can't do that, we're going to have to talk about what we can do to make those teeth look more similar. Again, you don't have to get crazy into the details. Uh, you can mention it may include talking to the dentist about some bonding, um, et cetera, but, but, and make sure that's noted in the informed consent and in the patient's chart entry for that day. Again, that being said, 99% of my fixed ortho cases, braces cases, I do the recontouring the day of the debond. It's only those outliers where you have significant, you know, one to two plus millimeter discrepancy differences in the uh, height of the incisors. One of the biggest reasons why I do that, and I prefer to use detail, detail at the end of treatment, is 
if you can get the gingival margin set up just right throughout the later stages of your finishing, I happen to use TMA wires. You'll see some podcasts in the future on finishing bends and how to perfect your finishing detailing. But I'll get those little step and Z bends to get the, the uh, axial inclination and the vertical height of those incisors just right relative to the gingival margins. Or if they don't show any gingival display on smiling, just right relative to the incisal edges. So I like to do that during my finishing adjustments, which are the last you know, few, two, three adjustments of the patient's case. One little caveat, be sure to tell the parent, the patient and their parents, if it's a pediatric patient, not to worry if the edges don't look 100% even prior to the braces coming off. We have our little scorecards, which we've, we've posted about before. Uh, it's a blog on, on the website, on the OrthoCoach website, but we, we, we put it on there that we, that, you know, to mom when the assistant brings Johnny out saying, edges may look uneven, Dr. Mike will polish when the braces come off. Because they go home, they look in the mirror and they see, oh my gosh, my teeth aren't straight anymore and they don't understand what, what's going on. If it starts to bother them and it's a, bit, a big difference, then obviously we'll just do a little recontouring and reshaping uh, before the braces are off and then finish the rest of it the day of the debunk. It's also super important that you place your brackets strategically. Okay, place your brackets strategically. You need to look at the teeth and estimate where to bond the brackets and gingivally to set them up for gingival margin symmetry if you're gonna go off the gingival margins because they have a gingival display with smiling. This will help minimize the amount of wire bending you need to do later in treatment. So again, a lot of times we just rush to get brackets on. Even if you use a digital system, where it's automated and you're doing it computer generated, you kind of kind of just get the bracket in the in the center of the tooth and the best part of the tooth. What you need to do is start to think about looking at the end, looking at the patient with the end in mind. So when you look at those teeth, say, oh geez, I noticed that you know number eight's this angle relative to nine on the incisal edges worn, so I'm gonna have to tip it this way, balance it this way, and then I'll polish those at the end. Okay, so when the bracket is placed on the tooth, you need to make sure you keep the focus in mind between the, the length of the tooth and trying to get gingival margin asymmetry versus incisal edge, gingival margin symmetry versus incisal edge symmetry to make those decisions. And that's again requires you to look at both teeth contralaterally, not just that one single tooth. As an example, you don't want to bond one maxillary central five millimeters from the gingival margin and the other four from the gingival margin, assuming the patient shows their incisors when smiling, even if both of those brackets would be five millimeters from the incisal edge. You know, we're taught to bond a lot of times, and I think this is why you don't see a lot of recontouring taught in our programs, because we're kind of taught how far to bond the bracket or the slot or whatever you use to measure from the incisal edge instead of looking at it more from the gingival margin and taking the incisal edge into account so that you can see and notice any major discrepancies in incisal gingival height. So again, you want to try to get that gingival margin distance more symmetrical, accounting for the fact that you'll reshape the incisors uh, during and typically or after treatment. And again, it takes into account the smile arc, right? You want to make sure you're looking at the patient. Again, if this is someone who no matter what you do in terms of bracket position or creating a smile arc, you're not going to be able to get this patient to show much gingiva. You've got some more play. You don't have to get those gingival margins as perfect. Again, I educate the parent and the patient on that. But if it's somebody who has you know, even minimal, if any, in uh, gingival margin display with smile or when they laugh or when they give a big smile, you need to make sure you're focused on where those gingival margins align uh, to get symmetry at the end of treatment. If you have a couple millimeters or more discrepancy and they won't show the gingival margins when smiling, this can be a little tricky because you, you're basically leaving them with two pretty uneven teeth in the front. And it can look somewhat aesthetic, uh, unesthetic, excuse me. I mean, if they pull their lip up, um, you know, you're going to, you're going to see a huge discrepancy in teeth. So it is, I can't overemphasize. It is so important that you talk to the parent and the patients about this and let them know you're leaving the two front teeth different heights because no matter how hard they laugh, smile, they don't show all of those teeth or they don't show the gum line of the center teeth. Okay. I also do, again, put that in the letter to the referring dentist because when they just look at an intraoral picture with cheek retractors, they're going to be like, why did he leave the teeth? He or she leave the teeth so, so far off. Okay. Um, 
you can always give them the option if they object to that and they say, no, I, Doc, I don't really, I don't want the teeth to be uneven, uh, even if it's not something you really see. That's fine. You just let them know you're going to line the gum lines up and then they'll just have the tooth restored, typically with bonding when they're a kid and then when they get to be a little older, they can have a veneer done. So most will opt, I found in my practice, they opt for the non-restorative option. They're like, yeah, just make the edges look good. If you can't see it, who cares? But you do want to give them that choice because you don't want them down the road to wish they had gone the other option and then come back at you and say, you know, you never told me that there were other options to this. And the same principle does apply when the teeth are severely chipped or worn at an angle. So let's say they're not just necessarily one shorter than the other, but number eight is, is worn at a significant oblique angle, or there's a chunk out of uh, number nine that basically is, is you're looking at it going, I know I'm going to have to either have this bonded or reduce that tooth a significant amount to get that incisal edge to be smooth. So talking about this is good, but I think, again, you'll know with my teaching style, I love showing cases. I think you learn so much more from looking at actual pictures. Um, so let's, let's take a moment, review some cases where we're going to show you the patient's initial presentation. Then we're going to look at how the teeth appeared at the debon visit, but prior to recontouring. So this helps you visualize and conceptualize what I mean by how I set the case up or set them up for recontouring. And then we'll see a picture of them after the recontouring was done that same day. So here's a patient, a patient that was, came in, uh, started her treatment, again, made notes of the fact that those centrals were kind of long. We had a lot of chipping and abfraction on these teeth with some mammalons with some deep grooves, quite a little bit of a groove out of the mesial there. Um, so we want to make sure that we can set this up properly. So here she was at the end of treatment. She actually even got a little more wear on these teeth during treatment. You can see, I mean, look at the distal incisal here versus here. So that can be a little tricky. Uh, and one of the things you want to remember is you've got to achieve symmetry. And at this point, getting that to look like that, we're going to have to reduce that side a little bit to get as much symmetry and balance as we can. Notice how we left these centrals a little uneven and higher in spots. That's going to allow me to level them. So as we look at what we did post-treatment, here we go. So you can see, you know, maybe a teeny little notch there, but to the eye, no one's going to know. But I did have to reduce the distal a little just to kind of blend that. But when you blend it, you're able to get these to look symmetrical and proportional to the point that nobody will ever know what you did. Here's another patient came in and, and you can see if you didn't pay attention to this, you just line the teeth up, you're going to be left with this somewhat significant chip on the distal and you'll actually see what happened to it during treatment because she got some more wear as we went through it. But you want to make sure you take this into account when you are setting that case up. So here she was at the pre-debond appointment. Now you can notice how I left that inside the mesial incisal of the upper right central lower than the distal because I know I'm going to have to reduce that tooth structure as well as kind of left those irregular edges sticking up on the lower, almost even with the canines, which is going to allow me to reduce them to allow me to have uh, the uh, more, um, the hi higher canine, uh, higher than the level of the incisors to allow for my cuspid guidance. And so this is what she looked like at that point. So again, looks great. You would never know aesthetically that that tooth had been so chipped out. Uh, and she does show a significant amount of incisor and gingival display with smiles. So we had to make sure we got those gingival margins spot on. If we look here, uh, you could see the challenge this patient has with the shape of those laterals, right? Really tricky. I mean, kind of almost a concavity on the mesial. It's got some decent attrition here uh, on all the incisors. And when you set this case up, again, you want to make sure you get him set up so that you are look, going to look at a great result post-treatment and don't have these irregular edges that you can't manage. So yes, this is lower, but we're going to remove that. That's lower. We're going to remove that. Some areas are higher down here. We're going to remove them, and then we'll be able to go ahead and bevel on these mesials a little bit to give us that result. This patient, uh, she had very ovoid form teeth with this V-shaped lateral, which you'll see a lot of times. You can see it was wearing right in between the lateral and the central on the lower. Same over here. She was wearing that lateral right into here, taking a pretty big chunk off the distal of that lower left lateral. Uh, so these, these create challenges. And then when you get them lined up, this is where she was pre-recontouring, setting me up to do some significant incisor recontouring and reshaping to be able to give me that as a final result. Again, it's so key to set these cases up where they don't necessarily look the best because you're going to take care of that in your finishing to make them look awesome.
patient with a lot of wear, very uneven centrals um, because of the wear setting that he had, especially on the, that upper left. Um, and so it was tricky, but he did show some gingival margins, uh, his gingival margins when he smiled. So I'm going to show the next picture. Actually, it was taken on my cell phone, so the color's a little off, but you can kind of appreciate um, the fact that this is just saying, you know, kind of smile a little bit or, or bring your lips back after I took the brackets off uh, before we started recontouring. Also notice, we will have some courses on this, but you're going to notice, you're probably looking at this thinking, oh my God, this kid must have had terrible decals. You'll notice he didn't have any. And um, there's a product I use, which I'll be talking about in a future podcast, uh, and we'll go into in a little more detail. That That's great for that, called ProSeal, and, and it's just uh, it's just amazing to, to prevent those decalcifications. But you can see uh, how I left that tooth considerably longer. Uh, but look, he's got so much enamel, and this is where you use your judgment. And a lot of it's thin. I know I can take that tooth down without any discomfort on him whatsoever. And so here you are. And there's his final result. We were able to get beautiful symmetry of those teeth. They're polished. Notice no decalcifications at all. We were able to get nice embrasures on the bottom, get those canines in here where that canine's got that extra little sort of uh, cusp tip there where it kind of goes down and in. You got to have that groove, which you'll see on some canines. Smooth that out for them a little bit. Make it look more natural. That's not a good-looking canine. And that's visible in the smile when people talk and... and um, and smile, you can see that. So you wanna go ahead and soften that for them. Those are all the little detail things that really add up to getting a great result. I have another patient, this was an adult female patient. Um, and we actually treated this case non-extraction. It's a really cool case. I'm able to do this as a case sample in the future, but really great case. And um, she just got an amazing, amazing result. But you can see how just how broken down a lot of these teeth were. So we set it up for the D-bond to look like this, the day of the D-bond. And then we went and did our recontouring and got a final result that looked like that. So for Invisalign or whatever clear aligners you use, I probably about 50% of the recontouring maybe even a little more, is done the day of the initial scan. And then I do the remainder at the debond. One reason I do this, and it's just something I kind of started doing, it just evolved throughout my practice career, <clears throat> was when I set the teeth digitally, I found when I didn't do this, I'd have significant incisal, if I had significant incisal edge attrition or chipping, which you do a lot of times in these adult patients, as the teeth began to align, it looked very unesthetic. Um, Embraces, it doesn't really seem to bother patients that much because they've got the brackets on and maybe they're just less likely to want to show their teeth, especially as adults. But with aligners, it did bother them. Um, you know, they take them out to eat and when they go to events, they would say, would usually take their aligners out. So I found patients would comment, they'd come in and say, I, I don't like the way the edges of my teeth look. Um, so then you're, you're in the point where if you reduce the incisor edge, incisal edge at, um, where it's unesthetic at an adjustment visit, you basically, you know, now you have the gap in the aligner. So the tooth isn't fully seated in the aligner. I mean, the tooth may be fully seated in the aligner, but you still have a gap. So your patients start to think that the teeth aren't tracking, or they now say, when I have my aligners in, I see this dark area, I don't like it. So, you know, learning from my mistakes, I realized, well, geez, maybe I should start to reshape these teeth a little bit before I have the first scan so that I'm not facing this down the road. Um, another reason is it helps me get an idea of the actual axial inclination. When I'm looking clinically at that visit, I've got the pan, I can the 2D construct of the pan, I can then look look down, look at the tooth, adjust the incisal edge, look at the patient from the front, and not try to straighten the teeth, but get that particular tooth to have as level an incisal edge as possible. So that way, when the teeth are set up digitally, I can apply the correct amount of tip or second order correction to achieve root parallelism. If you have a tooth that's like really tipped mesially, but it's been worn down, it's going to be pretty flat incisally in, in an adult patient. And that can actually be challenging for the tech to notice that and apply the correct amount of digital root correction, since it's counterintuitive to tip this tooth in a way that makes the incisal edge look uneven or makes the incisal edge uneven and makes the tooth look more crooked, even if you give the tech the instructions to do so. However, when you make the incisal edge of a tipped incisor perpendicular to the long axis, uh, pre-treatment or before you submit the scan, take and submit the scan. Therefore, it's uneven clinically. Now, just intuitively, when the tech sees that, they're going to want to upright that tooth, align that tooth, and get and achieve that root parallelism that you're looking for. I don't get crazy about embrasures or shaping the teeth at that pre-treatment uh, recontouring I do in, in my clear aligner patients. It really should be a quick three to five minutes. You say hi to the patient. How are you doing today? 
Uh, I'm going to do some general recontouring of the teeth. You just explain it. We're going to kind of polish some of those rough edges. Your TC will have already prefaced this in the consultation. And you know, after I do this, it's pretty quick and easy. It should never be uncomfortable. You go through the scripting again. If anything is ever too sensitive, raise your left hand. You need to do that with the adult patients as well. Uh, we're not cutting your teeth down. I'm just smoothing out the parts that are rough. And then after that, my your assistant, you can say, you know, Susie's going to take. Go ahead and take take the scan um, that we'll send in to Invisalign to start making your aligners. So here, actually, I want to show you an example of this. Um, this is a patient um, where the picture on the left is how the patient was when he came in for the initial scan. The picture on the right is after I recontoured, but before we took the initial scan to send in to start building the aligners. You can see how I didn't make the teeth straight, but I did give each individual tooth a more ideal shape. The patients actually love this too because they actually leave their day one with their teeth looking better. This particular patient was thrilled. He actually was looking in the, at the mirror of his teeth. Uh, the, my clinician told me, she's like, oh my God, he kept looking at the teeth. He couldn't believe how good they looked and felt. He's like, his teeth haven't been smooth like that. He's so happy. Obviously his teeth are still very crooked, but it made him very happy. And, and it gives them confidence in you and your ability to understand and treat them and, and accomplish their objectives from the very beginning. Um, and then just to see how nice it looks at the end, once you get everything lined up, you can see how much it helps your cases stand out and stand apart. I'll then do the final recontouring the day the attachments are moved and when we take the scan for retainers. So what I want to do is look at some cases where I'm going to show you the patient's initial pictures, then their pictures at the refinement scan, because I want you to see how this starts to play out, meaning pictures are going to be pre-treatment. It's not going to be one like I just showed where I show you right after, immediately after recontouring. What I'm going to show instead is a picture when they came in for a refinement scan. And at that visit, you can see how things are starting to take shape, but you can also see that it's still somewhat rough. It's not, not literally rough, but it's kind of like a rough sketch of what you're going to ultimately put together for your final product. And it gives you just an appreciation for the recontouring that was done prior to the D-bond leading up to it in these clear aligner cases, but as well as the recontouring that was done to get an ideal result at the D-bond appointment when the attachments were removed. So here's an example of a patient. This is a great case. Uh, he actually had an anterior crossbite. We treated the case with Invisalign, can't, missing posterior teeth. I mean, just a, just a brutal case functionally as well. But um, I did some great recontouring on him. So he is... Um, we actually only ended up having one refinement on this case. Uh, I took a lot of pride in minimizing my number of refinements with Invisalign uh, and got it down to where I was typically one every now and again, too. Uh, but uh, I really put a lot into my setups to get them, so I didn't need a lot of, of that clinical, uh, what I felt was wasted time. So here he was at his first refinement, but look at the difference. Now, I told him he's going to need some restorative treatment on the anterior in general. The GP thought he'd probably need full restorations on the anterior teeth, uh, upper and or lower because of how severe the attrition was. And I said, let me see what I can do. And then we'll, uh, we'll go from there. But you can see, I actually even overcorrected a little bit. See how high the left canine, lower left canine to the right. And then I overcorrected it. So I had to settle it back out in my, uh, detailing set of aligners, but we got some really good movement. The crossbite was gone at this point. His occlusion was settling in and now I can really dial it in for my, for my refinement. Um, and that's part of what keeps my number of refinements down. The only rest restoration we were going to need at that point was going to be the mesial incisal of the right central upper right central and he got that done and here you go and that's what we were able to achieve which is a little bit of bonding there's his final result but again without recontouring and reshaping seeing it ahead of time there's no way you're going to be able to achieve a result like this here is a patient who, uh, those incisors are incredibly retroclined and so uh, with a lot of attrition. And so I was able to procline them, get them to a better place. And here they were. Um, she ended up having, this is the second of her two refi appointments. We did need two refinements. I find when you're torquing roots like that, you end up needing some extra. And we was, I was able to kind of tip them as well based on her malocclusion. But you end up having uh, some, some heavier lifting to do. But you can see here she is at the second refinement. I remember I didn't. I recontoured these teeth only at that first appointment, the start appointment, before we took the initial scan. That's it. I never went back in and recontoured them again until you're going to see the next, next picture at the D-bond. So at this point, I'm set up beautifully. I know right where I want to dial them in, and there you go. There she was the day of attachment removal, did her final recontouring. She looks amazing. Um, doesn't even look like the same, the same teeth. Here's another patient. Uh, he... Um, 
presented with some breakdown of the teeth, really narrow constricted arches and, and an anterior crossbite and, and uh, so, you know, tough case. We treated him with the liners as well and did some recontouring ahead of time. And then he only needed one refinement. Here he is at the first refinement and you can see where we've got things set up. So I know exactly how to dial it in for the text and my final series. And there we are at the end. He's one uh, in a male. And again, I don't do this very often but I will give a little more taper on the mesial because he had so much breakdown of that left central. Uh, there was really no way around it except to really kind of taper those. But the thing is, is you don't see it if you have symmetry and balance, as I said before. So here he was initially, and then here he is in his final. You would never know when he smiles that he has a little bit more of a taper on the mesial and sizal embrasure of his upper centrals. So again, it's about creating that symmetry, that balance, uh, and that will let you be able to create just those, those awesome, unique smiles that people will rave about. This patient, um, she had some just some decent wear in there, but again, seeing ahead to know what we were going to do, polishing it ahead of time, only had one refinement. We, here she was there, everything looks good, and there she is at the final. And again, it's so key to, get, I, I know this isn't the most dramatic recontouring, but I want you to see that when you get these contours and you get that looking so nice, this is where she was initially, this is where she was finally. Look at how soft, how just natural and aesthetic that looks. It's such a game changer for you and your practice when you do this. Here's another patient. Very crowded, but again, if you don't take into account the final axial inclination of these teeth, you can end up in a lot of trouble. <clears throat> this tooth was tipped quite a bit mesially, so we didn't level it this way. We actually kept it on that angle. Um, same with this tooth. It's tipped, so we want to level it here. So it's really important you pay attention to which where the tooth is tipped and where the wear is so that you set it up. This, he only needed one refinement. Look at how much we were able to get beautiful alignment in these teeth in one series of aligners uh, to get things to be really set up for the final, which is here. Okay. Again, it all starts by just doing some gentle recontouring in the beginning. And you can see this is from here to here is from the initial scan to the first one and only recontouring visit. You can see how much recontouring I did. We then made the final series of aligners and got him to an ideal spot and did the final recontouring at attachment removal. Last patient I'll show here, <clears throat> you can see a little bit of a difference here. So here she has, if the axial inclination is maybe tipped distally a little bit, same with this tooth, but not to the extent she has the wear. So we actually took this one down quite a bit more on the mesial and on the distal to give ourselves a better representation of the axial inclination and get that incisal angle as perpendicular to the long axis of the tooth as we could. Same up here, uh, or sorry, opposite up here. We didn't level it this way because that tooth is tipped significantly mesially. We kept it almost level uh, and just reduced a little bit of the incisal edge on both centrals. So, so important that you kind of see that and conceptualize that before you get too deep in because here she was at her, uh, her refinement appointment and you can see things are really setting up quite well. Um, we've got great inclinations of the teeth. We're, we're really in a good spot. And then with our last series of aligners, we were able to get her to this point. And it just makes such a difference if you look at the before and afters, what beautiful shape you get these patients where you can see, obviously we had the malalignment, but look at the difference in what we were able to achieve. And yes, we got her beautiful alignment, beautiful arch development. She looks amazing, but that tapering and that, that rounding off of those teeth and the embrasures just makes all the difference in the world. It sets your work apart. It sets your practice apart and your patients will rave about it just as much uh, as the colleagues that you work with. So we've gone over which teeth to recontour, we've gone over when to recontour them, and now our third and last topic is going to be how to recontour them. I'm going to review the general technique to use. <clears throat> I'll then show you a clinical video, as I mentioned earlier, it's about seven minutes long. That way you can watch the entire process from start to finish. It doesn't always take me a full seven minutes like that, but because I was narrating, I wanted to make sure I took enough time to explain the entire process on camera. I'll also show you the before and afters of that particular patient in the video so you can see where she started pre-treatment and where she ended up after debonding and recontouring. Just to talk a little bit more about the technique, I use a diamond football bird to do the bulk reduction. A lot of people think I'm crazy. How can you take such an aggressive tooth cutting burr? We're dentists, right? We've, we've drilled on teeth. You can do it. Use your finger rest, go gently. You just do nice brush strokes. You'll see that in the technique. After I do the bulk reduction with the diamond football, I go to a half inch coarse soft flex disc to do the final polishing and the embrasures. 
I actually find there's no need when you're doing just enamel to go through the entire set of discs like you would if you're polishing a resin where you have to really bring it to a high polish. So after removing the brackets and any turbos or bite ramps, the first step is to use that diamond football burr, as I said. You're gonna put this on a high-speed handpiece, but you're gonna be gently painting it across the incisal edges. You're not digging in or cutting like you'd be prepping a crown. You wanna make sure, as I said, you use great finger rest and never put significant pressure on the tooth with the burr. I also use only about half speed or less on the rheostat. Sometimes I'll be painting kind of bright and the, I'll, the burr will literally stop because the, the amount of air coming through <clears throat> based on the pressure on the tooth, it literally almost stopped the burr. That's how lightly I'm pushing on the foot, on the rheostat with my foot. So I'll go and reduce the incisors and shape the canines, but I don't do the embrasures at this point. As an aside, little note of something I did. There was a time a while back where uh, a colleague had recommended that I get some hand pieces and they were less expensive. I was expanding the clinic and I needed to buy a bunch of hand pieces. And as you know, they can be very expensive. And they were ones that were less expensive, still good quality, but the reason they were less expensive is they didn't have the whole swivel that you snap on them on. I found that when the, I use these hand, tried to use these hand pieces that didn't swivel and are fixed in one position, I had so much less dexterity and accurate manipulation of the burr, and I had so much more wrist strain because I was torquing and twisting my wrist trying to get at the right angle. So again, it really is worth the investment to buy the swivels, buy a little mo the swivel to, to snap your handpiece onto um, as an attachment, and, and you'll find that that ability to swivel the handpiece makes a big, big difference. Other part about the diamond football, as I said again, is you're not aggressively cutting one tooth and then going to the next tooth or contralateral tooth. You want to gently go across each tooth first to gently smooth as much as you can comfortably for the patient, get a feel for their level of hypersensitivity, get a feel for their comfort level, and then you can go back and progressively do a bit more. Once you're done with the diamond football burr, go to the second step, which is done with a soft flex disc, as I mentioned before. This is done on a slow speed handpiece. And this step is the key to putting that finishing touch on those teeth. I use it to flatten the incisal edges and then I turn it <clears throat> to round and get into those embrasures as well as round and soften the canine points. Now let's watch the video of me doing this on an actual patient so you can see it play out in real life in the clinic. We've got the braces off, polished adhesive off. Now we're gonna go ahead and start with our diamond football and start to recontour the edges. We've already used this to take the turbos down. And what I do is I'll have you turn towards me a little bit more something. And I'm going to kind of come from this angle first. And I'll go across from this view, looking at the patient from the front. Start with the canine and see if this is ever too cold, just raise your left hand, okay? And then we're going to reduce the distal of the incisor because I had to trip the tooth a little bit to count for the tapering of your shape. So very gently, and you can see here how there's a little tip out of the tooth, so I intentionally set the tooth up to be able to reduce that out, and I'll do that with my diamond football, and then I'm going to go back over this with my soft flex, and I set all this up in my finishing bands late in treatment so that it was ready for me to do this today. Go to the canine, soften that point. Look cold there? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, it's too cold. You feel that cold if you've got that ramp on your effect. And I go from the lingual. You can see that in potential interferences and the guidance. Good, and I'll look at it back from this angle. And come back here. And as I mentioned in my post, I like to look at it from all different angles. I feel it really helps me get a feel for the anatomy, the contours.
Let's go to the bottom. He's going to be with every two times today just let me know. We're cold there? Mm -hmm. Okay. Raise that hand and it's too cold. Coming on this angle, same thing, it's too cold, raise that hand for me. Alright, now let's take that soft up. A little vibration this one, it shouldn't feel as cold, okay? The same thing, it's too sensitive as always that left hand. You just go across, you just give those embraces, they're nice food. Move that move all that out. And I really like to get into those embraces and Smooth them out, I find it makes a tremendous difference in the overall smile aesthetic. Not right now. Same thing for this side. Keep that tongue back. If it ever feels too cold, you can just raise that hand, okay? And a little cold is okay. I don't want it to be too sensitive, but I, want, I can see that hand if it goes up, okay? Yeah. And if the patient does have a little more sensitivity, I'll use the soft wax really slowly as opposed to using the diamond football, and I find that's much more comfortable for them. Some patients, it, it doesn't make a difference, some patients it does, so I just kind of get a feel for how they're feeling things, and then just adjust accordingly. Because we don't want to make the teeth overly sensitive, and even though it won't last, it's still not the best feeling for them. Before. So that's that lift a little bit from the hunger because it's too cold, just raise that hand. Basket, so it's nice and smooth on the Thanks, man. Hey.
So you can see it, it, it's great. It's an extra step you take for your patients, but it comes back to you in so many ways. Uh, just so you can see that I practice what I preach, I actually want to show you a video. This is uh, a picture, excuse me, <clears throat> from our security camera in the clinic. Uh, we took a still shot from that video of me recontouring my own teeth. Um, it, was, it was during the COVID shutdown and uh, I had some attrition on my incisors uh, and I'd eliminated my incisal embrasures. So I just took a soft flex disc and a mirror and I recontoured my teeth uh, to get some, some natural shape back uh, into my own uh, anterior teeth. So in closing, maybe thinking to yourself, Mike, this takes extra time. I just watched that video, it's seven minutes. You know, I get it if you do, if you're not dictating it, maybe it's five. I'm super busy. I don't have five more minutes to sit at my chair with the patient during a debond. To that I say, you need to make that time. Reason why is, it is so worth it on so many levels. I understand that if let's say you're doing, you know, this on each patient, it seems like it can add up. But I can swear to you, I have done this on every single patient I saw in almost 20 years of practice as a solo doc in a very busy practice. But I did it because it is such an important part of the patient's treatment. And it truly did make my cases stand out from those of my colleagues. Think of it this way. What if I told you there was something you could do, you could spend 20 minutes doing each clinical day, that assumes they do four D-bonds a day and it takes about five minutes per, that would set your cases apart from your colleagues and grow your practice. Would you do it? I think most of you would, right? I think how many things we try to, to, to do to market our practices or get more patients or improve our reputation. I can almost guarantee that you spend at least that amount of time if not more, working on other forms of direct or indirect marketing every single day. But sometimes we get so caught up in the volume of patients we see and the busyness of a day that we neglect the details that not only give us a competitive advantage, but provide our patients with the outcome they want and deserve. If you follow these steps, I promise that you will set your cases apart and in doing so, will generate more goodwill and referrals from your colleagues and your patients. That concludes this episode, and always remember, you have been blessed with the ability to do amazing things. Thank you for watching this episode of The Doc Podcast. Be sure to visit theorthocoach.com to get access to CE courses or schedule a private one-on-one -on -one coaching session with me. And remember to join the Doc community on Locals for more great content designed to help you succeed both personally and professionally. Just go to Locals and search for The Doc Community. You can also find Doc on Instagram at, at the ortho coach. And remember, you have the power to do amazing things. Mm -hmm.